the giant thinkers. Giant thinkers. Giant thinkers podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hello, wonderful listeners. Before we officially kick off, I'd like to make a special announcement, and that is that Creative Live has come on board as the first official sponsor for the Giant Thinkers podcast. Now, to be ultra transparent, I need to make a few things clear. The first is how sponsorship works. Sponsors help make shows like this possible and more importantly, free for you listening in exchange for me advocating and recommending their products and services. Starting a podcast is like starting a mini business. There's a heap of planning, organizing and budgeting that needs to be done. Costs such as high-end equipment, hosting, plugins, audio enhancement from an engineer and not to mention the investment of personal time uh, all of that comes straight out of my pocket. So having a sponsor for some is indeed advertising. But for me, it can't just be advertising for the sake of financial aid. It has to be a brand that can help you guys too. And you should know that I would never recommend anything that I believe wouldn't be of value to your objectives. And also, I wouldn't advocate anything that I haven't or wouldn't use myself, which is why it's taken the seventh episode to get a sponsor, because other opportunities that landed weren't in line with the content and brand of Giant thinkers. I felt it was important to be honest with the over 10,000 of you that have already listened to the previous six episodes all over the world, uh, even helping this podcast to reach number 15 on the global iTunes charts for the design category since its inception three months ago. So check out creativelive.com slash design. For those that haven't heard of them before, they are the world's leading online classroom for professionals with a comprehensive lineup of design classes that cover everything from typography to UX to starting your career as a freelancer. Go to creativelive.com slash design to see what they have to offer. And they've been incredibly generous to offer a whopping 25% off exclusively for the Giant Thinkers listeners. Simply enter the coupon code GIANTTHINKERS1, that's Giant Thinkers, the number one, at the checkout for 25% off any Creative Live design class. This code is valid only until the 31st of October. So let's now dive straight into episode number seven. Now in this session, the guest joining us is the creative director and principal of a very established design agency. He established his agency in 1991. So almost a quarter of a century ago. During his journey, he's achieved over 300 international and regional awards. He's published 14 books, lectured extensively and served on numerous boards. His design work is even exhibited in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. The topics we talk about include the true meaning of design thinking, the importance of being more dynamic, more progressive and future focused, why a healthy level of being naive is a strength, the benefits of being wrong, 
understanding the definition of value and its relation to compensation and the outcome, how to think about money as a designer in the context of three categories, tips on approaching financial conversations with prospective clients, and the biggest tip to reaching success. There are so many things to take away from this episode, so strap yourself in. I even encourage you to take notes. Get ready. I'm beaming with excitement to present the forward-thinking and incredibly wise Andrew Hoyne of Hoyne Design, Branding, and Communications. Welcome to the show, Andrew, or should I say Andy? Is there a preference I should be calling you? Andy's fine. Andy's fine? Perfect. Mate, um, let's dive right into this podcast. Uh, and, and I'll start with a little icebreaker question here, as I do with all my guests. Uh, the question is, uh, what is your favorite cuisine or, or a cuisine that you would choose to eat if that was the, the only cuisine that you could eat? That's a tough question only because I, I love to eat a lot. Bit of a and foodie? Yeah. My wife and I were massive foodies and um, she's an incredible cook. Um, I... Really, really enjoy Italian food, but I mean, I like all cuisine. If I had to just eat one thing for the rest of my life, I'd probably just say chorizo. Yeah, I mean, it's not Italian, but Spanish, but it's close enough. Yeah, perfect, mate. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Spanish food and Italian food. I think just the tapas and the, the the style of that, and then I mean, you can't go wrong with a pizza for for Italian food. <laughs> so, um, mate, that's awesome. So let's um, talk about where you're from and what kind of kid you were growing up. Uh, I was originally from northeast Victoria, a town called Wangaratta, and then as a teenager I moved to a bigger part of my family in Werribee, just out of Melbourne. Um, I probably quite an enthusiastic kid, um, quite keen to just be involved in things and do things, uh, pr- pretty curious. Yeah, did you have any activities that you, your parents... Um made you kind of try and, and have a go at? Not really. The thing that I was into the most would probably be BMX riding. Oh, right. And, um, you know, anything really active. My brother is only about a younger year. Uh, sorry. My brother is only about a year younger than I am. So much to my frustration, we did a lot of stuff together. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have valued that more, but at the time I wanted to kill him. Yeah, exactly. Well, there, there you go. Yeah, I think... Um, uh, you know, what you do and type of activities that you do re- really influences, um, I guess, that aspect of curiosity and, and you know, you'd be probably in the, in the forest in the, or in the open fields and, or, you know, riding, riding in the outback there or, you know. Yeah, trying to um, sneak off with someone's gun at the age of, you know, 11 or 12 and shoot rabbits. Yeah. And uh, if I knew an 11 or 12-year-old that sort of snuck off with a gun, I would be... <laughs> devastated i would be in shock and and you know i'd be calling the police yeah exactly you know all those years ago out in the country didn't seem that big a deal and what did your parents do if i may ask my dad uh worked for the sec the state electricity state electricity commission cool my mum was an aged care nurse wow very cool uh now let's talk about your expertise uh if you had to define it where would your expertise lie uh look (laughs) When you put it in that context, I think I'm going to give the most boring answer and it's an answer that I almost won't let my clients give me because it's so boring. But it's really around solutions and I don't think about what I do in just the context of design or brand or marketing because the way that I look at all the opportunities that exist in front of me is 
how can I actually achieve something for a client? And mm. whilst, you know, we use the tools of design to do that, I'll also be looking at every other facet of their business. Um, it, our clients are constantly surprised by how many of the suggestions that we put forward have absolutely nothing to do with design or branding, right. but they can increase the amount of money they can make, the amount of profit, the amount of margin, uh, better delivery of solutions to their clients and services. So for me, you know, I think about things in a pretty holistic way. Um, whilst I love the aesthetic and the thinking about design, um, I probably think about the notion of design thinking, which necess doesn't necessarily have anything to do with pen to paper. It just has everything to do with finding the best possible outcome. Yeah, I, I really like that, um, especially you... Uh you, you gave a little clue there to, uh, to caption uh, what your, your, you do for your clients. So have you got an example about, about um, that scenario or that, that situation? Interestingly, uh, a lot of the work that we do at Hoyn uh, is in property marketing. We also do work uh, on a lot of corporate branding, whether it's uh, for large institutions or retail brands or even, you know, some kind of kooky cultural brands. But in the property marketing space, we're working on major amounts of money associated with various projects. It's not uncommon to work on a project that's $100 million to $500 million uh, in terms of gross development value. So when we're thinking about a project, we don't just think about it in the context of trying to sort of resolve a design issue. We take a pretty big step back and we look at the master plan. So in that way, we're always thinking about is this the best way to deliver a community solution or is this the best way to think about mixed use in terms of who's going to be utilising it? So we're often thinking broadly uh, about delivery of services, uh, of value to people who are purchasing or leasing or actually just utilising it from a community perspective. So what that does is it makes us think about the spaces, the architecture, the master plan. And it's really interesting to be involved in projects where we're actually briefing this out to people. Mm. You know, unlike the traditional model where the brand or the design might actually come right towards the end just before consumers or buyers are about to see it, we get involved pretty early on and we work with developers uh, and sort of various groups to ensure that the vision is something that's really compelling and so for that, I find that we get to take a pretty big step forward um, in actually looking at spatial environments and um, and how you can do something just quite amazing in, in regard to a precinct or a place. So does that involve uh, a lot of the architecture and the the um, the influence of uh, the space itself? Um, do you guys uh, actually contribute to to that side of things? Yeah. Well, look. Um, we are in the process of a number of jobs, uh, past and present, where we actually brief the architects. Mm. We're working with developers or, you know, other organisations um, who want to build something and we're the ones who are creating the vision. So wow. we'll actually do a mood board uh, and write a brief and actually sit down with the architects and say, here's what we want you to create. So when they're presenting solutions, they're actually presenting it to us as well as the clients. And the clients often look to us to determine what the best approach is. Mm, um, that's very cool. It is. It's really exciting. And, you know, whilst a small part of me thought at the beginning of some of these processes, architects might be frustrated that they're actually presenting to a, you know, graphic designer, mm. 
uh, it's turned out to be quite the opposite because, you know, what excites them is they're getting a better brief than they've ever had before in their careers mm. and they're actually getting a brief that pushes them to do more mm. and to deliver more and to actually create something unique. And uh, normally they're sort of being asked to conform and what we're doing to, with them is asking them to actually be more dynamic yeah, mate, and be I, more progressive. I love how you brought that up. It just triggered a thought in my head in... Um uh, when was it? 2013. I got a call from uh, Rick Graffet uh, from from AIGA, which is the American Institute of Graphic Arts, and he had been uh, he's just about to finish up as the president there, but um, he had been the president at the time for 18 years, and uh, he invited me to New York, and I was sitting on these grand red chairs overlooking Madison Square Avenue, and was sitting there, and he said to me, "Tell me about your blog," and um, I was just chatting to him, and as I was chatting to him. Uh, he wanted my insight on on uh, how I'm engaging with an audience that that um, I guess uh, they wanted to improve on engaging with. Uh, after that conversation, we started talking about a couple of random things, and one of which was he said I got a call from the White House <laughs> la- last week, and uh, they were requesting uh, designers, um, a couple of them, uh, two or three to attend a conference, uh, sort of like a brainstorming session, if you will, um, on on certain issues and so, certain things that um, they wanted a different perspective on. Yeah, um, it brings an interesting point because I often say to people who run organisations, how many designers do you have in your board of directors? And they look at me and almost <laughs> laugh and they think that's quite a, you know, quizzical, unexpected query. But the reality is that future-focused organisations should have design people Mm. or design thinkers on their board of directors. You know, uh, the fact that most CEOs are really just accountants or lawyers is pretty one-dimensional and it's how most organisations in the Western world are run. And I think the future of business is businesses who truly believe that their brand is the enormous asset that it is and they'll actually see design thinking, design people with, uh, you know, visual backgrounds as actually running these organisations, having future vision and not necessarily having some of the detailed acumen of financials or legal but it's surrounding themselves with the right people mm. to actually bring business to life in a way that's never been done in the past. Mm. Yeah, it, um, it actually uh, reminds me of the, uh, the thriving businesses we see today including Uber, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, all of these, uh, they they all um, have had um, startups from these types of people. So that's really cool. I mean, you know, people always talk about, you know, the most uh, valuable company in the world being Apple and, you know, some of the most progressive design things having come out of organisations over the last few decades like Nike. Mm. They're design companies mm. first and foremost beyond all other things. Yeah. Uh, now, talking about businesses, your own, you mentioned Hoyne Design, uh, or not just design, but uh, Hoyne uh, as the uh, entity. Uh, can you give us a background on 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 that and painting a picture of, of how many people you have, where is it located, um, etc.? Sure. Hoyne started in about 91. Um, I came up to Sydney about, I think, eight years ago. Uh, we've only just opened in Brisbane early this year. Uh, there are about 50-ish people. Cool. Uh, the business is in a really exciting phase. 
uh, we are developing and growing and building the senior team. I would expect that probably by the end of this year we'll be about 65 people. Um, you know, we're looking to grow further. It's not about me. It's just that my name happens to be on the letterhead. Um, you know, my job is really to kind of see the future and, and you know, pull people together to sort of help create it as a reality. And, you know, I want to find people who are better, smarter, quicker than me. Mm. And it's actually sometimes difficult, sometimes easy. And I, I mean that from the point of view that having found a number of really smart people, in hindsight it's felt easy because they are really quite incredible at what they do. But at the same time, you know, you're always looking and you'll speak to a lot of people and uh, if you actually crunch the numbers, it's actually really hard. Yeah, yeah. Now um, you said you started in 91. That's um, quite a while away now. You must have um, <laughs> learnt many, many lessons. Um, how did you get started in, in that area? Uh, I went and um, lied to the bank <laughs> and uh, got a loan for some money. Uh, bought a second-hand computer and just started doing it wow. pretty much. Um, I think I often say to people that being naive is a real strength mm. and, you know, it's good not to know everything. Mm. And I think one of the worst things about having been in business for 24 years is sometimes you know too much and you're inclined to say that won't work, let's not do that. I've tried that a dozen times and it never worked. And I have to remind myself to pull my head in sometimes and working with the team I'll look at something and believe that it won't work but at the same time think, you know what, maybe a different approach to this could work and maybe I should give these guys a shot at making something work that I couldn't make work. Um, I actually really love being wrong. <laughs> being wrong's great. Being wrong really kind of reminds you that there isn't one answer to all things and being wrong means that you keep trying things without beating yourself up when you fail. Yeah, I am. Um I went to a one-year-old's birthday party a couple of weekends ago and um, I just had a thought that entered uh, my head and, and at the time I thought uh, we all saw the world clearer when we saw it for the first time before habits of limiting beliefs got in the way. Mm. And I think that really relates to what you were saying about um, naivety and, and, you know, I guess the opposite end, knowing, knowing too much it could yeah. almost hinder Look, I've got three small kids, which is, um, you know, an absolute joy. I've never been happier than to have my beautiful little girls, um, uh, Sarah, who's five, Rose, who's three, and Hannah, who's one. And, you know, having their enthusiasm and their, you know, perspective is a great thing to be around. Um, and, you know, hearing the funny things that kids say, um, you know, all those cliches are true. Yeah. So, you know... I think that whether I'm talking about my children or even when I'm talking about junior staff and the team, it's mm. just kind of great to hear fresh perspectives on things that you have predetermined in your mind. So for That's me, you've got to just keep reinventing things, you yeah. know, keep changing the, the paradigm. Yeah. That's unreal, mate. So look, you're a family man. You mentioned you've got offices in Melbourne, Sydney and now Brisbane. How does a typical day look like for you? Um, I can't really talk about it in the context of a day, more a week because, <laughs> you know, that kind of that's how my life works. Um, I, the moment I'm probably in Brisbane one or two days a week, yep. I'm probably in Melbourne a day a fortnight. Um, in Sydney I'm working on a pretty broad spectrum of jobs. So I've got a strange role in that I'm the creative director and I'm MIA a lot of the time which makes it probably a bit difficult for the team. 
Uh, so I'm directing via phone or via email. It's not really ideal. Um, I've kind of got to replace myself, um, which I'm keen to do. And, you know, if there are any incredible creative directors out there who want to come and talk to me, feel free. Um, we have a role. But, you know, it's it's an, it's hard to actually replace yourself. Yeah. Um, the reality is I love what I do and I don't actually want to replace myself. But there's so much going on and there's so much opportunity. Uh, I have to do a lot of travel, um, you know, running the entire business. Um Whilst not on my own because I have an amazing senior team and a couple of general managers and a COO and a strategy director um, and that team is expanding, you know, there's a lot of excitement in that and it changes my role um, so that I keep to kind of keep feeling refreshed about the job that I'm doing Um, because the reality is that I want to stay really enthusiastic and as soon as I start to get a bit bored or not like my job, there's going to be a big problem. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, uh, what do they say? Uh, uh, the, in order to be fulfilled, you have to continually be learning and, um, yeah. you know, be surrounded by by new things. Um, I wanted to uh, talk to you about uh, a topic that really uh, excites me and um, kind of linked to what you were talking about, about, about finding um, key people and, and um, surrounding yourself by, by the best, I guess. Um, and the topic I want to talk, about, talk to you about is about providing value. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to ask you firstly, what is your definition of value? And then I'll fire some follow-up questions <laughs> <Sure>. around that. <laughs> okay. Look, for me, value is about, it's not necessarily about money because money is all about perception. Value is about what you deliver um, and how it's utilised. And for me, you know, value has a range of different contexts and it really depends on the conversation that you're having. But it's about providing something of worth that's actually going to deliver an outcome. And for me, I'm very much about outcomes. You know, I like to see results. Um, Doing things can be fun and exciting in and of itself. But at the end of the day, I want to see what it's delivered. Mm -hmm. You know, what impact has it had? How has it changed people? How has it changed business? Um, You know, how has it sort of revolutionised the way that people approach what it is that they do and what they should expect? whether it's a product or a service. So for me, value is really directly related to outcome. This is where um, I think it's really important. Um, and for me, it's, it's a privilege to ask you this question because you've been in business for so long. You, you know, to be able to thrive and exist as a business for this many years is a testament to, to you um, providing that value. And um, it, it leads to my next um, area, which is... Um, I guess many people in general, not just creatives or designers, are uncomfortable talking about money and, and putting a price tag on themselves. Um, have you got any advice on this when it comes to charging what you're worth? Sure. Look, as a designer, you need to think about money in the context of three categories. Is what you're doing a hobby? Is it a job? Or is it a, is it a business? If it's a hobby... It's probably going to be something that you have a lot of fun doing and you're just doing it for the purposes of enjoyment. You don't really expect to make money out of it. In fact, hobbies generally cost more money than actually they make. But it's not a job and it's not a life. Mm. It's just something that you have fun doing. A job is all good and fine and a job is, you know, working for somebody else and having a clear idea of what it is you need to deliver and being paid a set amount of consistent amount of money, you know, a salary. But a lot of people who actually own businesses don't actually have a business. They just have a job. 
because they're not really properly remunerated for the risk that they take. And the reality is that it is a lot of risk. Whereas a business, a business is something else. When it comes to money, a business is about being properly remunerated for the work that you do, for the value that you create, for the solutions that you deliver, not necessarily on your own as a business, and for the risk, for the fact that some years aren't as good as others, Mm. that basically you're the one who signs the leases, you're the one who, you know, borrows the money from the bank. Um, You know, there are a lot of pretty big financial risks in actually owning and running your own business that a lot of people don't see. Mm. So therefore, when you're successful, you should be rewarded for that. You should actually be compensated for that risk and that achievement. So you, you know, these three things in many respects don't relate. Um, and people who make a lot of money in the work that they do, be it a designer or otherwise, should be proud of that. You know, the compensation is a reflection in some cases of their input, in some cases of their value, in some cases of their professionalism or their talent. Um, but I think, you know, whilst money isn't always the goal for many people, I think it's a nice way of having a sign of achievement. Mm. I remember... Uh Last time we spoke, you said something uh, that really struck a chord in me um, in that the philosophy of, of pitching to a client value as being a, a win-win, that you, I guess, approach the, the conversation in a way that, um, that your, uh, I guess, price tag is of course, going to be something that you're happy with. So that's a win. But inversely, it's also a massive win for them. And whether it takes five minutes to come up with the idea or five months is irrelevant if it is, as you said earlier, going back to the outcome. Mm. Yeah, look, you know, it's not uncommon to have financial conversations with Mm. prospective clients who tell you that you're expensive or you cost more than somebody else. And I'm fine with that. I usually say, great. I'd be really disappointed if you said I was cheaper. Um, You know, the way that we look at our business is that we want to actually deliver the best possible outcome for our clients and therefore we're going to charge accordingly. Mm. Um, You know, a client who wants a cheap job is not a client that I want to actually work with. I want a client that actually values what we do and feels we should be compensated for it Mm. because what I'm trying to do is make them more money, Mm. is actually provide them with something that exceeds their expectations. Um, And so I'm very happy to charge as much as I possibly can Mm. in the context of achieving that outcome. Um, So, you know, the way that business generally works is someone quotes a figure, the job gets done, they get paid. But that's just one business model. And, you know, where revenue is concerned, there are a lot of different ways you can actually work out a solution of being remunerated or being rewarded for the value that you deliver. And I think as an industry, we probably have a lot to learn. Um, and I certainly look at my business in terms of revenue models quite differently, I think, to the traditional approach. You know, success, if I achieve uh, something that is the, the substantially higher than a normal goal that the client expected, then I'd like an extra fee for that. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you've just got to have these conversations up front. Mm. You'd be surprised how often a client will be open to sort of talking about money mm. as opposed to not. Any, um, any tips uh, with articulating that uh, during a conversation? 
Um, or look, any? Yeah, yeah. I probably could do a whole separate talk just on this topic itself. Yeah. The way, look, to have a money conversation, you need to start the conversation. And as I said before, this is something that designers generally avoid doing because as designers, we just love doing the work. We want to hop in and actually design or come up with ideas. But the first conversation needs to be about the business transaction. Get that out of the way and not just push it aside but make sure it's really clear mm. um, because it is business and there needs to be clarity. And in some cases there need to be different goals um, where fin finance is concerned. Mm. So That's I guess cool. all I can say without going to too much detail mm -hmm. is just have the conversation. Yeah. Talk about it openly and don't be afraid and don't feel that you're in the weak position mm. because if you feel good and confident about what you do, you're in a position of strength. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, couldn't agree more with that. That's, that's there's some great insights. Uh, now, changing the pace a little here, what's the biggest risk that you've ever taken, and and what did you learn from it? Amongst many, I'm sure. I think the biggest risk I took was leaving Melbourne and coming to Sydney. Um, at the time, my business in Melbourne was doing really well. Uh, you know, we had a good reputation. We were getting lots of work. We had great relationships. And I just felt I needed to kind of spread my wings a bit. Um, you know, I wanted a bit of a challenge and I didn't realise how big that challenge would be in coming to Sydney. It wasn't that Sydney was really hard to crack. I mean, it was hard, but actually the difficult thing was coming to Sydney and seeing my Melbourne business just fall to pieces. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of staff left the culture change after I wasn't there full time. Uh, the clients weren't really satisfied with the way things were going and just the relationships in themselves weren't the same. Um, so things changed pretty rapidly. Uh, it really did fall in a heap for the sort of first year or two, uh, which was complete hell. Uh, I think I probably came close to having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> but, you know, I just persevered. Mm. It's probably my one true strength is that, that I do persevere. Mm. And so, you know, we got a up and running and Melbourne ended up doing really well. We've got a great team and Sydney just got stronger and stronger. Um, so, you know, it was very difficult but um, in hindsight I'm really glad that I did persevere. Uh, on that and, and you touch on something that I think a lot of people can relate to which is um, perseverance and, and really that struggle there. Um, how do you maintain a positive mental attitude? Look, Things can be difficult as a designer because you're always trying to sort of find that golden nugget of an, of an idea and, you know, it's not uncommon to go around and around and around and it's just completely frustrating and mm. you, you're trying to find all sorts of different uh, methods or tricks to kind of figure out uh, a great solution. Um, and, you know, I, I probably try them all myself and whether or not some of them work or not, it, it's inconsistent. But I think the one thing that you have to be is optimistic. Mm. Um, you have to believe that, you know, going back to that point about perseverance, that if you just stick with it, if you just keep going and going and going, you'll get there. Now, it might take a little bit, it might take a lot, or it might take a really long, long time. But you have to be prepared to go for that really long, long time. Mm. Um, and if you're not, well, you were never committed in the first place. Yeah. Um, it 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 kind of goes with a philosophy that I believe in, which is uh, uh, it's it's just almost like a, a barrier to to test the people, test people from 
those that are really serious about it and uh, those that aren't. And, and I guess if, uh, if you really want it, you're just going to keep going until you get it. Yeah. You know. I, um, I'm not like a, a hugely physical guy but I'm always trying to keep healthy-ish. Well, you, you were telling me you just did a half marathon, was it? <laughs> yeah. The other weekend. <laughs> yes. That's pretty cool. I've um, not even done that. Yeah, no. <laughs> it, it, was, um, it was hard. And, you know, the example of that is that halfway through you're thinking, man, this is really hurting. Mm. And then you remind yourself, well, if it didn't hurt, everyone would do it. Exactly. You know, and it wouldn't be so special then, would it? Yeah. And that's, you know, you can apply that same thinking to everything really. Mm. If it was that easy, everyone would do it. And if it was easy, who'd value it? Mm. No one. Yeah. So, you know, important things are hard. Tough things are hard. Mm. Things that count are hard. So what? you just got to work hard. Mm. It's pretty simple. You know, I mean, it's really common sense. But if you just sort of break it down, mm. you just got to keep putting in if it, you really want to get something out that has true value. Mm. It's a threshold thing too, isn't it? You've now just increased your capacity to reach that higher level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you really sort of, it's, you know, you can train your muscles, you can train your brain, but you've also got to train your attitude. Mm. You know, you've got to get yourself into a pretty good headspace. That's very cool. Um, now I've got a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, the, the, the next one is what are a couple of your all-time favourite books or at least one that you have in mind? I do have a habit of, um, my God, I'm selling a lot of books for this bloke. Um, I always say and, you know, anyone who's heard me talk will always go, ah, buy Paul Arden. His books are great. They're right. small, they're thin, there's a handful of words and they're easy things to remember and yep. they'll inspire the shit out of you. <laughs> and I truly believe that. And um, I, I strongly recommend, you know, you buy several of his books Um it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be uh, and other titles. The other book that I'd strongly recommend that everybody goes out and buys is um, by Blair Enns. Mm. It's called Win Without Pitching and it's beyond just the idea of not working for free, which is ludicrous. It actually goes, it's probably the best design business book I've read in my career and when I finally met Blair, I complained to him that he hadn't written it 20 years earlier. He would have made me a lot more money and made me a lot more sort of happy and made life a lot easier because I wouldn't have made as many mistakes as I have. Um, so that's a, an incredible read. It'll change your view about how you value yourself within the context of this industry. Brilliant. I'll be sure to get it myself. Uh, Win, Without, Win Without Pitching by Blair Ends. That's it. Unreal. Uh, now I just wanted to ask you... Uh, question for emerging designers out there um what are some simple things that they can do right away to create a standout brand presence for themselves is there anything they can do to to get the attention of, of an employer you know this is going to sound incredibly simple yeah first thing comes to mind go on i get sent a lot of cvs all the time and i literally click open the file and then click close the file and I don't even read most of them. Now, Why is that? this is not, you know, the intent to be lazy or rude, mm. but they're so ugly, messy, badly designed documents that I just think, oh, my God, if you can't even design your CV, how, you know, this is the, the calling card for yourself. How the hell could you design anything for a client? So, you know, it doesn't need to be over-designed, just beautifully typeset, simple, clear, easy to follow, you know, well-formatted, you know, considered. It's, mm. a, it's a document. You should be designing it really well. 
Um, I'm just absolutely shocked at how few people do it. Mm. It's just like the price of entry. Um, that's before I've even gotten to the folio. I mean, that's the first thing I click on or it's the first page and I think, man, mm. if you can't get this right, you're in trouble before you started. Mm. But the thing that always, uh, you know, ticks the box to make me go, oh, I need to get this person in, is when I sort of look, finally flick through a folio and go, wow, this is something that I would love to have done myself. That's the kind of box that you want to tick with mm. someone. Now, that's not what you designed for. You designed for the goal of the client or, or for yourself in certain instances. Mm. But when you get that reaction from a prospective employer, you know, you've got him on the hook. Mm. So and I think you covered some good points there. I yeah. mean, uh, two that stand out is, is the first impression. Um, which I completely agree with everything you said. I don't need to expand on that too much. You know, having grid systems, uh, using negative space, don't, not being afraid to, to flow your pages on. Um, and secondly, uh, the type of work. And I think um, people for, often forget that you can put work on there that is uh, a dummy project. Yeah, you know, how, totally. would, how would you redesign or your favourite brand? Or how would you, um, I guess, improve something out there that you're a customer of? And obviously by captioning that accordingly and putting it into context that it was a personal project, there's nothing stopping people from doing that. Look, employers don't care if it's a personal project. In some ways we're more enthused because it means that you were proactive and did it in your own time. Mm. Um, I think the hard thing when you're at university is the age that you're at mm. and you're going through different life experiences and, you know, you might be really into thrash metal and do a thrash metal album. And now I look at it. Read me like a book, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, God, I can't really relate to that at all. But if it's a great design, I'm still going to get it. I don't care that it's thrash metal. I'll still mm. get that the, the work is good. Um, so the themes for someone in their 20s are not going to necessarily relate to a th the themes that, you know, me in my 40s will, mm. in, you know, connect or click with. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really matter. So it's just more about having an understanding that, Whatever it is that you put in front of someone, they need to actually see the value in it. Mm. Um, and the target audience should be clear. Mm. A good designer often assumes that he's not the target audience for most of the work that he sees. So that's awesome. It doesn't change the fact that you still need to do something impressive. Yeah, you've absolutely reaffirmed um, all the things that I, I sort of uh, uh, tell others and and um, and try to apply on on myself. Uh, now. The question that I ask most people uh, towards the end of the, each episode um, of each show is if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and uh, talk to teenage Andrew Hoyne, <laughs> uh, what, what would you tell him? Get a haircut. Um, <laughs> I would, go to the gym. Um, did you rock the mullet, did you? <laughs> no. I, I, I'd like to say no, but unfortunately there are photos to disprove that. There you go. Yeah, no, bastards at work have shared a few photos around of me looking ridiculous. It's all on the internet. You're big in Japan. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully they were in black and white, not colour. Um, if I had to go back to a younger version of myself, mm. I would actually say work harder. And think more. Don't just execute. Don't just draw or whatever, but think. Really, mm. really think mm. and work harder. That's perfect. It's pretty simple. Yeah, mate. You only had 30 seconds to say that. So, uh, <laughs> I only needed 15. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Actually, I needed the whole 30 if I wanted to talk about my clothing and haircut. <laughs> and fix your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. um, mate, uh, what's next for you and, and uh, Hoyne? Um, and, and have you got any other ventures that we should know about? 
Oh, look, I, there's always other things going on in my world. Mm. Um, you know, I'm always working on a number of individual book projects, which I am at the moment doing about three. I've got other interests and activities, but I, look, I don't want to go into that here and now. There's, there's always interesting stuff mm. that, um, you know, I kind of do in my spare time. Um, I'm sure we'll hear about all of them. Yeah, look, there's things that will come to the fore, which mm. I'm, you know, I'm excited about right now. You know, as always is the case, I'm really focused on the business, uh, you know, the clients, the work, the people within the business and um, I think we're really going somewhere. You know, I mean, I've been in business for 24 years. I've had success and failure. Um, so, you know, I know what the good and the bad times look mm. like. So for me it's just really engaging the right people to go on a journey and, uh, and do exciting things together, work we're really proud of, work that I'm proud to call ours yeah. and just find a way to retain the enthusiasm and keep re-inspiring myself and the team to just continue to do better and better work. Mm. And it sounds like you're, you're expanding as well. So that's, yeah. that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. Look, um, expanding because I see great opportunity to do more interesting things. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not sure how you know, I can talk about money, but is that my motivation? Mm. Not necessarily. Um, you know, obviously with a family, with a couple of kids, you know, it's going to play a role in my life, mm. an important role. But you know, I just like doing interesting things. I just mm. like being proud of the work that comes out of our studio. Mm. Um, I just like having an impact on the clients that I work with. Yeah, and I think um, you touched on it um, right there, you, you know, the, the role money plays. Obviously it's it's a means uh, to live a certain lifestyle as we know but um, even, even deeper than that and what I'm finding in my career um, clocking over to, to 12 years in the industry almost now, um, the money will come. Yeah. And I think when you're starting out, for those listening, um, predominantly emerging designers and creatives, uh, it's it's often hard to see that or to taste that because mm. they've never felt that before. Oh, look, I think in anyone who's great at what they do mm. will ultimately be compensated for it because greatness is seen. Mm. You know, greatness doesn't get hidden. People will actually find amazing people and they'll engage and reward them mm. because, you know, ultimately... We want to celebrate achievement. Mm. Yeah. Mate, um, that just about wraps up this uh, this awesome uh, interview with you. Um, how can listeners get in touch with you online? Oh, the old-fashioned way. Email's fine. <laughs> Email's good? Go to our website. I'm Perfect. on there. Um, What's your website? Hoyne.com.au. Hoyne.com.au. That's unreal, mate. Uh, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the podcast and I can't wait to see more inspirational work from you and your team. Cheers, Ram. Thanks, mate. Cheers, Andy. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that session with Andy and were able to connect with some of those gems to help you on your journey as a designer and creative. Next up on episode number eight, I'm bringing to you a Sydney-based art director and designer with over 15 years experience. He owns his own design studio and has worked with leading international brands, including Coca-Cola, Nespresso, Quicksilver, Hurley, Globe, Lecoq Sportif, and Universal Music. But that's only scraping the surface. He also runs an online store with his wife that produces a range of framed prints and paper goods. These products 
feature his distinctive hand lettering and design style, and there are currently over 100 stores worldwide that stock their products. Stay tuned for that, or better yet, subscribe to giantthinkers.com on the mailing list and uh, to the podcast, of course, on iTunes to never miss an episode. I would also love for you to leave a review on iTunes. We all know how important reviews are in adding credibility and your review could be the difference between someone listening to valuable content that could really help them or not at all. And lastly, a reminder that this episode was sponsored by our friends at Creative Live, the world's leading online classroom for professionals and creative individuals like yourselves, where you can hone in on your design skills from learning Adobe programs to typography to UX, to portfolio creation, or even starting your career as a freelancer. It's all there. Take advantage of the massive 25% off discount on any Creative Live design class by using the code GIANTTHINKERS1, that's GIANTTHINKERS, the number one, but it's only valid until the 31st of October. So head to creativelive.com slash design and see what online design classes you can learn from to expand your skill set. Until next time, Giants, I'm Ram Castillo, pushing you to think bigger, dig deeper, and work harder. 